Merry Christmas Eve, everybody out there listening or viewing, and welcome back to the Word Encounter episode 141. We're going to switch up today and do something a little bit different. Yesterday I said we would pick up in chapter 10 of Jeremiah, but I had forgotten that I had planned something special for Christmas Eve, which is today. And so uh, we're going to talk about uh, the birth of Jesus, the meaning of Christmas, and that sort of thing. So without further ado, let's just get started. Let's go to uh, Luke chapter 1. Let's drop down to verse 5. And it says, Gabriel's, uh, Gabriel predicts John's birth. So Gabriel is an angel, and John is referring to John the Baptist. And in verse 5, it says, uh, oh, we're in the New Testament, by the way. <laughs> we skipped ahead. And so uh, it says, in the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of um, Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from uh, his wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And so we see that in the lineage of Aaron comes this woman named Elizabeth. And it says both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. So they were faithful people. See, they just weren't just some people. They were faithful people. And then the word says in verse 7, but they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were old. It doesn't say that. It says both of them were well along in years. And so this is kind of like Abraham and Sarah. So they were barren. They had no children. They were both well along in years. Drop down to verse 11, and it says, An angel of the Lord appeared to him. Uh, So what had happened is Zechariah was on duty at the temple, and so he went into the temple in order to perform his temple duties. And inside the temple, it says in verse 11, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. In verse 12, when Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. So obviously Zechariah recognized that this was not a human being. You know, and he may have recognized that this was, in fact, an angel of the Lord. And in verse 13, it says, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you will name him John. Verse 14, there will be joy and delight for you and many will rejoice in his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. And so just when I read this, sometimes it makes me wonder, did they even know what the Holy Spirit was? You know, or maybe they just thought it was uh, the spirit of the Lord, because Jesus says later on that he will send a comforter, you know, referring to the Holy Spirit. But this hasn't happened yet. And so maybe they just mean the spirit of the Lord here. I don't know. In verse 16, it says, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And so we see that he will be a shepherd. He will usher. He will be an avenue for many of the children of Israel to return to the Lord their God. And it says in verse 17, he will go before him. um, Well, let me back up. It says he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in spirit and power of Elijah. So he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. And so this is referring to John. John will turn many back to the uh, spirit of the Lord, but John will go before the Lord in the spirit of Elijah. It says to turn the hearts of fathers and their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord and prepare a people. See, 
He's going to prepare a people for the Lord. This is John's assignment. And so John is older than Jesus. He's coming before the Lord in order to usher the people to Jesus. In verse 18, it says, Zechariah says, how can I know this? For I am old and my wife is well along in years. <laughs> okay, that sounds good, angel. Sounds good, Gabriel. But how do I know this? In verse 19, uh, Gabriel answered him. He says, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. See, so I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission from God, <laughs> literally. I'm on a mission for God, from God to come to tell you what is about to happen. And so now imagine if that was you. Would you be in a state of disbelief? I kind of would, but, you know, we drop down to verse 26. Gabriel predicts Jesus' birth. And so in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the town of Galilee called Nazareth. Verse 27, to a virgin in, uh, engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. So we see that the Lord is being faithful to his word when he told David he would always have somebody in his lineage on the throne. So to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. In verse 30, it says, Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. See, so the Lord again has committed to David what he will do, and he's following through. It says in verse 33, He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Verse 34, Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? Verse 35, the angel rep replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So you will essentially be, you will not have anything to do with this, Mary. <laughs> Things are going to come down on you and overtake you, overshadow you. This is what's going to happen to you. All of this will essentially be imposed on you. And it says, therefore, the Holy One uh, to be born will be called the Son of God. And then it says in verse 36, and consider your relative Elizabeth. See, so now he's talking about, because uh, uh, Mary doesn't know this, right? Mary doesn't know uh, what uh, uh, Gabriel has told Zechariah. So now he's about to inform her. It says, and consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son. In her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. And so she had previously been barren, but now in her sixth month of pregnancy is when she's, uh, is when Gabriel is telling Mary this, you know, she's old and she's been barren, but she's pregnant now. So uh, Gabriel is putting out there a scenario for her where she can start to get a glimpse of what's going on and that what he's telling her is in fact the truth. Mary's visit to Elizabeth, we see in verse 39, in those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah. So she went out into, into the country <laughs> where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. In verse 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby inside of Elizabeth's womb, 
You see, so the baby's a new one was filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, excuse me. The baby leaped inside the womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So the baby recognized, I guess baby, they run the baby network, right? And so John inside of Elizabeth recognized that Jesus was inside of Mary. And so John leapt inside of Elizabeth's womb. And then as a result, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 42, then she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord came to me? See, so Elizabeth is saying, how can this be that the mother of my Lord? So she, the mother of my Lord, she's talking about Mary and the Lord she's speaking about of is Jesus inside of Mary's womb. And so Elizabeth is, is exclaiming, how can that be that you should come to me? She's in disbelief. First of all, she recognized who was in Mary. See, that was a Holy Spirit revelation thing. She recognized what was going on. And she was obviously honored that, um, that she would be visited. And so then what happens then is then John goes on and gets born. And then we hop over to chapter 2 in Luke, and it says the birth of Jesus. And so we drop down to verse 4, and it says, Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was um, of the house of the family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. And so he went to Bethlehem in order to, uh, to register the family name. Okay. Um, and that was the purpose to register that they were of the line of David. Then it says, um, verse five, well, to, to be registered along with Mary who was engaged to him and was pregnant. Verse six, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth in verse seven. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So we see that Jesus is now born. And then it says the shepherds and the angels in verse 8. It says, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and, and, and keeping watch at night over their flock. In verse 9, it says, then an angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Imagine if God appeared to you. <laughs> I think that would be extremely terrifying. You know, I would be wondering, like, okay, what did I do wrong? Why is he here? I mean, I, I would just be terrified. So they were terrified. And it says in verse 10, but the angel said to them, don't be afraid for look, I proclaim to you a good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a savior was born for you. So the angel is telling them that a savior was born for you. He's not just saying a savior was born. He's, he's making it personal. He says a savior was born for you. Who is the Messiah, the Lord? Verse 12, the angel says, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and laying in a manger. Verse 13, suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, 
glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. And so imagine you're a shepherd and you have this uh, uh, this angel come before you telling this stuff. And then he's joined by all these other angels. He has a cadre of angels. You know? <laughs> so they're, they're looking at this and like, what the heck is going on? That's what I would be thinking. Okay. Then in verse 15, it says, when the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So let's go verify that what this angel said has in fact happened. In verse 16, it says, they hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told to this ch- about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So we see that uh, Jesus is born, John is born, and Jesus is born, and then the, the, the shepherds come along to essentially coronate him, you know, because he told, they told them what the angels had told them. And so there we have the birth of Jesus. So Jesus has now arrived on the scene. And so in this Christmas season, what we're celebrating is we're celebrating this event. We're celebrating his birth. But nowhere in the Bible is Christmas mentioned. And so the question that should come to mind, that came to my mind, is where did Christmas come from? <laughs> you know, so I did a little research, and um, uh, it was more than a little, but it wasn't extensive, okay? So I invite you to do your own research. But, you know, I went to the, the history.com, and I went to uh, Wikipedia, and I went to other places to try and gather some information and try and collate it. See, because I don't believe in, 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 in going to just one site and reading something or doing uh, or just sourcing one source, going to one source for information. I try to look for um, collaboration between various sources to, to see what may be true and what may be, you know, kind of just assumption or spin or whatever, because I, I just don't trust media sources, right? And so I invite you to do the same thing. And so what I'm, what I'm telling you is what I have read, what I have seen, but there's no way I can really verify it except that I read other sources to see if there's some kind of commonality between the sources. And so it seems like in the year 432 or somewhere about there, A.D., after, after Jesus' death, that Pope Julius I is the one who, who coined Christmas. <laughs> and so he kind of made Christmas. First of all, we don't know when Jesus was born. You know, there are some, you know, some, some ideas that it was in the springtime or early summer, or, but we really don't know. The Bible doesn't say anything about when exactly Jesus was born. And so, but it seems to probably be that it wasn't December 25th. That's the way it seems, okay? And so it seems like uh, that this time period was chosen by the Pope because people at that time in Europe would celebrate the winter solstice. Now, that would be December 21st because December 21st typically is the longest uh, or is the day that has the shortest period of daylight, you know, um, and the longest nighttime. And so... (laughs) They would celebrate the solstice because that was a turning point from when things would be very, very dark to now things would start to get uh, lighter and lighter. In other words, there would be more and more and more daylight. And so that was a celebration. 
And so apparently, along with this celebration, um, uh, and there were some other European countries, it wasn't called the, uh, the Winter Solstice, but they had other festivals and other things around the same time period. And it seems as though during these time periods was a time for the people uh, in these uh, cultures and societies uh, to go what we would call in the, in the hood, wilding. And wilding being, it would be a time for them to, to celebrate, uh, to get drunk, to, to do whatever. And so uh, many will say that Christmas has pagan origins, and I can't really dispute that because it seems like, yes, in fact, that it does have pagan or origins. And so it seems like the Pope may have chosen this particular date in order to leverage the fact that other people were already celebrating and maybe to try and to arrest some of those people from those pagan celebrations and graft them into a, a Christian celebration of the birth of Christ. And it seems to have worked, okay? And so we see that uh, uh, that Christmas and, and, and celebration of Christmas uh, has had a long run, a long history, and uh, but it's morphed in that time frame. And so um, uh, because there were some activities that the church didn't necessarily condone associated with uh, celebrating Christmas at that time, Christmas was actually banned a few times in, in England and some other places because uh, uh, the faithful powers that be just thought it did not represent the things of the Lord. And so then, but regimes would change, kingdoms, you know, kings would change, and the people would clamor for the celebration, and so it was brought back. And even uh, in the first uh, early Puritans that came to the country, to the United States in the 1600s, uh, they carried a similar attitude with regard to Christmas, and and they were the ones who promoted the fact that it had, was birthed out of uh, pagan uh, festivals and worships, and they didn't want to have anything to do with it. But in other parts of the country, of the young country, the United States, uh, the Christians would celebrate Christmas. And so what we see is kind of had a, uh, an interesting and a rocky road as far as its history is concerned. And so sometime in the 1800s, as some attitudes started to change with regard to the family and whatnot, it seems as though those in the U.S. and those in the U.K. Um, uh, wanted to kind of redefine Christmas as kind of a family celebration time where gift giving would be permitted and that sort of thing. And so that seems to be what has taken place. Uh, now, there were other immigrants from, immigrants from other countries like Germany, and so they brought their traditions with them like the Christmas tree. And so we see that that has been propagated in American society as far as uh, dressing up the Christmas tree and so on and so forth. And so the question then when we understand this, well, is this a celebration of the Lord? You know, that's, that's what I wonder. That's what I have wondered. This is, you know, is this just a human thing? Well, let's go over to Romans in chapter 14. And let me read this. And this is Paul says, uh, educating the, 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 the new converts to Christianity. He says, accept anyone who is weak in faith, but don't argue about disputed matters. And he goes on to explain further. He says in verse 2, one person believes he may eat anything, while one who is weak eats only vegetables. One who eats must not look down on the one who does not eat. One who does not eat uh, meat, yeah, one who does not eat 
They're, they're talking about pork. One who does not eat must not judge the one who does because God has accepted him. In verse 4, who are you to judge another's household servant? Interesting question. Before his own Lord, he stands or falls. He will stand because the Lord is able to make him stand. Then it says in verse 5, one person judges one day to be more important than another day. Someone else judges every day to be the same. Now, the key is the next sentence. So we have one person that says, okay, this day is more important than this day. Another person says, no, they're all the same. The next sentence says, let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. Okay, now what does this mean? Well, it says in verse 6, whoever observes the day observes it for the honor of the Lord. See, Whoever eats, eats for the Lord since he gives uh, thanks to God. And whoever does not eat, it is for the Lord that he does not eat it and he gives thanks to God. In other words, what are you convinced of? What are you, and I'm talking about in, in, in your inner core, what are you convinced of? If you are celebrating a Christmas because you are convinced and you are honoring the birth of Jesus, then to me what this says is you are righteous in your behavior. See, so it's all about what you're convinced of. It's not necessarily about what the origins are, where it comes from and whatnot. But if you, in your heart and in your mind and in your spirit, are are honoring the birth of Jesus by celebrating Christmas because Christmas to you is recognizing that birth and celebrating it, then it seems to me that you are, in fact, honoring the Lord. And that's where I fall on this. And so I don't know if you've thought about any of these things. I don't know if this brings clarity to anything. I just wanted to share that on Christmas Eve. And I just wanted to take this opportunity to thank everybody out there who supported this message, supported this, I guess it's a ministry of the Word Encounter, as we're trying to send out the Word of God in an unfiltered manner so people can start to discern and get revelation on their own. And that is the purpose, and that is my heart's desire. With that, I say Merry Christmas. Thank you, Lord God, for life. Thank you for all that you've done for us, your children. And Father, we would just ask on this day, as, though, as those of us take time to reflect on you, that you would reveal to us what it is that you would want us to know in this day and this hour. In Jesus' name. Take care. Have a wonderful celebration. And tomorrow on Christmas Day, I may or may not have an episode. It depends on how it goes with the family. We'll see how it plays out. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye now.